0: Hello and welcome to Concord Quotes, a podcast that takes you through the Lutheran confessions in a year. So grab your book of Concord and join us as we begin today's reading. Today we will be reading from the Apology of the Augsburg Confession, Article 5, Sections 177-194. through 194. These things are so plain and so manifest, we wonder that the madness of the adversaries is so great as to call them in doubt. The proof is manifest that we are justified before God, not from the law, but from the promise. It is necessary to ascribe justification to faith. What can be opposed to this proof, unless someone wish to abolish the entire gospel and the entire Christ? The glory of Christ becomes more brilliant when we teach that we avail ourselves of him as mediator and propitiator. Godly consciences see that in this doctrine the most abundant consolation is offered to them, namely, that they ought to believe and most firmly assert that they have a reconciled Father for Christ's sake and not for the sake of our righteousness, and that nevertheless Christ aids us so that we are able to observe also the law. Such great blessings as these the adversaries deprive the church when they condemn and endeavor to efface the doctrine concerning the righteousness of faith. Therefore let all well-disposed minds beware of consenting to the godless counsels of the adversaries. And the doctrine of the adversaries concerning justification... No mention is made of Christ and how we ought to set him against the wrath of God, as though indeed we were able to overcome the wrath of God by love, or to love in an angry God. In regard to these things, consciences are left in uncertainty. For if they are to think that they have a reconciled God for the reason that they love, and that they observe the law, they must needs always doubt whether they have a reconciled God, because they either do not feel this love, as the adversaries acknowledge, or they certainly feel that it is very small, and much more frequently do they feel that they are angry at the judgment of God, who oppresses human nature with many terrible evils, with troubles of this life, the terrors of eternal wrath, etc. When, therefore, will conscience be at rest? When will it be pacified? When, in this doubt and in these terrors, will it love God? What else is the doctrine of the law than a doctrine of despair? And let any one of our adversaries come forward who can teach us concerning this love, how he himself loves God. They do not at all understand what they say. They only echo, just like the walls of a house, the little word love, without understanding it. So confused and obscure is their doctrine that not only transfers the glory of Christ to human works, but also leads consciences either to presumption or to despair. But ours, we hope, is readily understood by pious minds and brings godly and salutary consolation to terrified consciences. For as the adversaries quibble, that also many wicked men and devils believe, we have frequently already said that we speak of faith in Christ, i.e., of faith in the remission of sins, of faith which truly and heartily assents to the promise of grace. This is not brought about without great struggle in human hearts. And men of sound mind can easily judge that the faith which believes that we are cared for by God and that we are forgiven and heard by Him is a matter above nature. For of its own accord, the human mind makes no such decision concerning God, Therefore, this faith of which we speak is neither in the wicked nor in devils. Furthermore, if any sophist cavils that righteousness is in the will, and therefore it can be ascribed to faith which is in the intellect, the reply is easy, because in the schools even such persons acknowledge that the will commands the intellect to assent to the word of God. We say also quite clearly, just as the terrors of sin and death are not only thoughts of the intellect, but also horrible movements of the will, fleeing God's judgment. So faith is not only knowledge in the intellect, but also confidence in the will, i.e., it is to wish and to receive that which is offered in the promise, namely, reconciliation and the remission of sins. Scripture thus uses the term faith as the following sentence of Paul testifies, Romans 5.1, Being justified by faith, we have peace with God. Moreover, in this passage, to justify signifies, according to forensic usage, to acquit a guilty one and to declare him righteous, but on account of the righteousness of another, namely of Christ, which righteousness of another is communicated to us by faith. Therefore, since in this passage our righteousness is the imputation of the righteousness of another, we must here speak concerning righteousness otherwise than when in philosophy or in a civil court we speak after the righteousness of one's own work, which certainly is in the will. Paul accordingly says, First Corinthians one thirty, Of him are ye in Christ Jesus, who of God is made unto us wisdom, and righteousness, and sanctification, and redemption. And 2 Corinthians 5.21, He hath made him to be sin for us who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. But because the righteousness of Christ is given us by faith, faith is for this reason righteousness in us imputatively, i.e., it is that by which we are made acceptable to God on account of the imputation and ordinance of God as Paul says, Romans 4, 3-5, faith is reckoned for righteousness. Although on account of certain captious persons, we must say technically, faith is truly righteousness, because it is obedience to the gospel. For it is evident that obedience to the command of a superior is truly a species of distributive justice. And this obedience to the gospel is reckoned for righteousness, so that only on account of this... Because by this we apprehend Christ as propitiator, good works, or obedience to the law are pleasing. For we do not satisfy the law, but for Christ's sake, this is forgiven us. As Paul says, Romans 8, 1, there is therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus. This faith gives God the honor, gives God that which is his own. in this, that by receiving the promises, it obeys him. Just as Paul also says, Romans 4.20, he staggered not at the promise of God through unbelief, but was strong in faith, giving glory to God. Thus, the worship and divine service of the gospel is to receive from God gifts. On the contrary, the worship of the law is to offer and present our gifts to God. We can, however, offer nothing to God unless we have been first reconciled and born again. This passage, too, brings the greatest consolation as the chief worship of the gospel is to wish to receive remissions of sin, grace, and righteousness. Of this worship, Christ says, John 6, This is the will of him that sent me, that everyone which seeth the Son and believeth on him may have everlasting life. And the Father says, Matthew 17, 5, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. Hear ye him. The adversaries speak of obedience to the law. They do not speak of obedience to the gospel. And yet we cannot obey the law unless through the gospel we have been born again, since we cannot love God unless the remission of sins has been received. For as long as we feel that he is angry with us, human nature flees from his wrath and judgment. If any one should make a cavil such as this, if that be faith which wishes those things that are offered in the promise, the habits of faith and things, to this we reply that these dispositions cannot in reality be severed in the manner that they are divided by idle speculations in the schools. For also in the epistle to the Hebrews, faith is defined as the substance of things hoped for, Hebrews 11.1. 1. Yet if anyone wish a distinction to be made, we say that the object of hope is properly a future event, but that faith is concerned with future and present things and receives in the present the remission of sins offered in the promise. From these statements we hope that it can be sufficiently understood both what faith is and that we are compelled to hold that by faith we are justified, reconciled, and regenerated if indeed we wish to teach the righteousness of the gospel and not the righteousness of the law. For those who teach that we are justified by love, teach the righteousness of the law, and do not teach us in justification to avail ourselves of Christ as mediator. These things also are manifest, namely, that not by love, but by faith we overcome the terrors of sin and death, that we cannot oppose our love and fulfilling of the law to the wrath of God, because Paul says, Romans 5, 2, by Christ we have access to God by faith, We urge this sentence so frequently for the sake of perspicuity, for it shows most clearly the state of our whole case and, when carefully considered, can teach abundantly concerning the whole matter and can console well-disposed minds. Accordingly, it is of advantage to have it at hand and in sight, not only that we may be able to oppose it to the doctrine of our adversaries who teach that we come to God not by faith, but by love and merits, without Christ as mediator, and also at the same time that when in fear we may cheer ourselves and exercise faith. This is also manifest that without the aid of Christ we cannot observe the law, as he himself says, John 15, 5, Without me ye can do nothing. Accordingly, before we observe the law, our hearts must be born again by faith. From the explanations which we have made, it can be easily inferred what answer must be given to similar quotations. For the rule so interprets all passages that treat of good works, that outside of Christ they are to be worthless before God, and that the heart must first have Christ, and believe that it is accepted with God for Christ's sake, not because of its own works. The adversaries also bring forward some arguments of the schools, which are easily answered, if you know what faith is. Tried Christians speak of faith quite differently from the sophists, for we have shown before that to believe means to rely on the mercy of God, that he desires to be gracious for Christ's sake without our merits. That is what it means to believe this article of forgiveness of sins. To believe this does not mean to know the history only, which the devils also know. Therefore, we can easily meet the argument of the schools when they say that the devils also believe. Therefore, faith does not justify. Aye, the devils know the history, but they do not believe the forgiveness of sin. Again, they say, to be righteous is to be obedient. Now, to perform works is certainly obedience. Therefore, works must justify. We should answer this as follows. To be righteous is a kind of obedience which God accepts as such. Now God is not willing to accept our obedience and works as righteousness for it is not an obedience of the heart because none truly keep the law for this reason he has ordained that there should be another kind of obedience, which he will accept as righteousness, namely that we are to acknowledge our disobedience and trust that we are pleasing to God for Christ's sake, not on account of our obedience. Accordingly, To be righteous in this case means to be pleasing to God, not on account of our own obedience, but for mercy, for Christ's sake. Again, to sin is to hate God. Therefore, to love God must be righteousness. True, to love God is the righteousness of the law, but nobody fulfills this law. Therefore, the gospel teaches a new kind of righteousness, namely, that we are pleasing to God for Christ's sake although we have not fulfilled the law, and yet we are to begin to do the law. Again, what is the difference between faith and hope? Answer, hope expects future blessings and deliverance from tribulation. Faith receives the present reconciliation and concludes in the heart that God has forgiven my sin and that he is now gracious to me. And this is a noble service of God, which serves God by giving him the honor and by esteeming his mercy and promise so sure that without merit we can receive and expect from him all manner of blessings. And in this service of God, the heart should be exercised and increase of which the foolish sophists know nothing. This concludes today's reading. We hope you enjoyed this episode of Concord Quotes. For more quotes from the Book of Concord, like our Facebook page at facebook.com forward slash concordquotes1530 or you can follow us on Twitter at concordquotes.